From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It was a breezy senior day for the Orange and Blue, with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's six-second pick six setting the tone as Florida overwhelmed Idaho 63-10. Now everyone's attention is squarely on the final game of the regular season, with the Gators hoping they can be thankful for a streak-snapping victory in Tallahassee. On today's show, we'll discuss the looming matchup with the Seminoles and basketball's trip to the Bahamas with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Plus, Tommy Townsend shares stories about his first year living his dream and how his family unexpectedly became a punter factory. But first, Florida's easy dispatching of the Vandals meant that not only did a ton of seniors get playing time, but so did a bunch of younger players looking for valuable game reps. So before diving into Florida, Florida State and dissecting the stakes, we began our chat with Scott and Chris by discussing which Gators impressed them the most on Saturday. Thought Felipe Franks had a nice game, uh, 274 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Kyle Pitts had a big moment, the freshman tied in. You know, you could go across the board. I mean, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the interception to start everything six seconds into the game. Uh, there were a lot of people who stood out for the Gators, and I think that's what Dan Mullen and his staff wanted. I think you had 13 players catch different passes. You got a lot of young players in there, such as Damian Pierce. Uh, Jacob Copeland, and one that everyone was talking about afterward, quarterback Emory Jones, who I thought looked uh, nice too, 12 out of 16, 125 yards, the first two uh, touchdown passes of his career. Um, I really just think you know, more than any one guy really shining, uh, Adam, I think the key for Florida was it went out and did exactly what a team is supposed to do against an overmatched opponent, a team that's talking about a New Year's Six Bowl uh, you go out and you beat those kind of teams 63 to 10 and you, you take any mystery out of it early and Florida 49 zero at halftime. They did that. And then they got a chance for an opportunity for a lot of players to get action in the second half who normally we don't see a lot. And, uh, if you drew that up for Dan Mullen, I think it, it played out almost perfect for him. Yeah. I'll go ahead and just say it was a good day for the seniors. Uh, on senior day for them to go out with a blowout win. You know, that's what's supposed to happen on senior day. Uh, it didn't happen last year on senior day. Now, granted, the opponent was Florida State last year is what I'm talking about. But uh, that's kind of a good way to go. It was kind of cool to see C.C. Um, Jefferson run out there with his, his kid, like like raced him out there while he was running mm-hmm. through the t- that was That was kind of a cool moment or whatever. But I'll also give a shout-out, like Scott said, to uh, for Dan Mullen. Eight wins. They had They won four games last year. Twice as many. He's now got the offense to 56 in the country. One of the talking points you heard all during the last few years with McElwain when they were floundering in the hundreds, Muschamp in the hundreds. God, just get us to 70 or so, and you know, and, and we'll, at least it will be watchable. We'll be able to compete. Well, he's 56 in the country, and that's exactly what the what the deal is. And we know that uh, you know, if he gets his soldiers in here, gets the guys he wants in here. That 56 is going to get a lot better than that, I think, because of his uh, acumen as a play caller or what have you. So uh, 
I think it was an all-around good day. Obviously, the 63, 600 yards is always a good number. Um, not a number you see around here a lot. Number you see a lot uh, more often, obviously, with Spurrier and uh, Urban Meyer. But um, a good all-around day, the way to send out the class. But uh, things are about to get real, as they say now, uh, Thanksgiving week. And we're going to get to that in, in due time. I do want to talk about Emory Jones for a second. You did mention him, Scott, and certainly that's what made the second half of this game very interesting for a lot of fans as opposed to normally you have a score like this and a game like this, people tune out. You could argue there are more people tuning in when you have a quarterback situation where there's a young guy that everybody wants to see perform on the big stage. So for his first significant game action that, that you had a chance to see, I'm curious what you took away. What impressed you and, and what areas did you maybe see okay? He, he still has some work to do there. I, thought I was impressed. I thought other than the fumble that he had uh, when they drove down to Idaho's 25, and they lost it. That was really his only glaring, I guess, mistake, at least from a performance. Uh, you know, I'm sure Mullen might have some other things he'd like to see different from a coach's perspective. But I'll just start, you know, he'd only thrown one pass in his two appearances. That pass was against Georgia. That was real pass interference, so it didn't even count. So you watch him throw the ball. I think he looked a lot better than what I recall from the spring. Uh, he threw some really Nice passes, seem to get the ball out quick. Uh, he's obviously a natural runner. I think that's one thing you notice right away. He, he is a natural fit for Mullen's offense and is more typical of, of the quarterbacks who have uh, directed Mullen's offense over the years. Um, but overall, I, you know, I, I think he had good composure. I, I was impressed. I think the fans were impressed. And afterward, Mullen, you know, he said... The key for him, he didn't make any glaring mistake. He he took care of the the points that he was supposed to as a young freshman quarterback, and and went out there and uh, and did what he was supposed to do. And again, I don't think Mullen was like overanalyzing much because it was Idaho. But you want to get a chance for a player in that situation to get some experience, and and it was a situation where he was able to expand just more than a few packages. He was able to stay in the game for the whole second half and kind of carry out a game plan instead of just being put in a niche situation. So the question now becomes, if Emory Jones has one game left to work with, and there's two games left for the Gators, how is he utilized? Do you still see him at this point, or do you think Dan Mullen sees him as a guy who they need to win maybe this week at Florida State? Or is he a guy who is used in the bowl game as a look toward the future? Or is it door number three, you don't know till we get to Tallahassee and we see how the game plays out? I would think it's a, almost a slam dunk that it's a bowl game. You know, again, you only you only get to pick one. I think there was probably some people who thought, let's get a package together for him for the Florida State game and for the bowl game and kind of bypass this whole Idaho thing. But with the injury to Kyle Trask, that may have um, turned that thing wayside. Think about it. If Kyle Trask hadn't broken his foot, he may have started against South Carolina. Had he not started against South Carolina, he probably would have gotten the bulk of the Idaho game. It's just It's just the way things played out. You know, I, I think it's Felipe Franks. It's, it's the Florida State game is his. And then with all the extra practice time that you're going to get for a bowl game, they'll probably develop more of a package for him and, and turn him loose in, in that postseason game. But it's Dan Mullen's call. We'll find out Saturday. But I would think that's uh, just in hearing what he said, he's been pretty open about it, actually. Mm-hmm. I think saying that that's the direction he's probably going to go. So I don't know if there's that much uh, mystery to his decision to begin with. 
I promised we would move on to FSU. We will do that now officially. Uh, I'm curious for you guys, what narrative stands out the most to you? Because there's a lot of them going into this game, even for, you know, maybe one of the less hyped Florida, Florida State matchups in the, the recent annals. There is still a lot at stake here for both teams. Which storyline do you find most compelling? It's easy. Five straight wins. I mean, it's it just absolutely galls and goads the Florida fan base. And, uh, uh, you know, along the way, during those five wins, Florida State was pretty darn good and Florida wasn't very good. Um, that last game in 2012 was a, a statement game, I thought. Uh, went up to Tallahassee and, I mean, and won in a place pretty convincingly where Steve Spurrier never was able to win. Gators went up and down the field. I think they ran the ball really, really well that game, if I'm not mistaken. 37-26. 37-26. Okay, yeah. That seems like a long time ago. When you think about it, that was a that was one head coach, that was an interim coach, that was another head coach, and another interim coach. So that's it's been a long time <laughs> since the Gators won, and that's a lot of a water cooler ribbing taken by people in in offices all over the all over the state of Florida and beyond. And you know these uh, seniors, whether it's the fifth year seniors or the true seniors, whatever, are sick of losing to Florida State. And when you're a Gator fan, you're probably thinking, look, if we don't get them this year. We don't know when we're going to get them, and because they are they are not a very good team right now. Statistically, they 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 got some really bad numbers on that side. You know, just to add insult to injury, you go into Tallahassee and beat them this week. You snapped all their all their uh, records that they have: the forty-one straight winning seasons, the thirty-six straight bowl games, all that kind of stuff. All that's there for Florida to do. All that stuff will spill over to recruiting talking points and what have you. So. It's all out there. The Gators got to go do it. And I'm, I'm just saying it's not going to be easy because we know Florida State has really good athletes. They have playmakers. Their defense is a lot better probably than they have performed this year uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. You can say it's coaching or whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make that declaration right now. For whatever reason, they haven't put it all together. And at the same time, it's not like Florida is some offensive juggernaut that's going to go in Tallahassee and go up and down the field. So there's plenty of intrigue to this game relative to who's going to win it and who's going to lose it. That's what makes this game attractive this week. It looks like, oh, Florida's going to go in there and win. I don't necessarily think it shouldn't be that simple, believe me, because Florida State now has that dangling carrot of they can they can go 500. They can have a winning record. They're, they have the kind of things that they can build on for their new coaching staff and head into the offseason with a little momentum. And by just sticking a fork in the Gators with a six straight win, they've never won six in a row in the series. They've never won five in a row in the series until last year. So they could uh, maintain that domination. I think that's plenty of motivation for them. Yeah, it was really a case, Adam, where late Saturday after the Gators beat Idaho, there was a lot of groans that went up when people saw that Florida State came back to beat Boston College because all those points that Chris just spoke to, it kept alive their chance for another bowl game. It kept alive their chance for to still have a winning season. It gave them something to play for, uh, you know, against their traditional rival. And not that they wouldn't have shown up otherwise, but, you know, knowing how players work, knowing how their minds work, there's nothing else that they would love to do is to kind of keep those streaks intact and, and uh, beat the Gators in a year when a lot of people see Florida ending the streak. And, you know, the Gators are every bit capable of going over there and winning. I mean, uh, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting afternoon because of everything that we just talked about. You just there's so much that goes into these rivalry games that make them somewhat unpredictable as normal. And then, you know, you throw in this streak stuff with Florida State. I mean, that's that's going to be a focal point all week for them. They don't want to be the team that misses out. I'm going to a bowl game for the first time, I think since 1980, 
They don't want to be the team that has a losing record for the first time since Bobby Bowden was in his first season, 1976. So that shows you how long it's been over there. And it's, and, you know, it kind of goes back to the Gators. You know, they've had some of these streaks that people grew up with that have ended in recent years, and they would love nothing more than to be the team that, you know, puts that on Florida State this time around. When talking about the matchup, what stands out? Clearly, Florida State has talent. We know that. They still have athletes. They have not put it together pretty much at all this year. Although, if you saw some of that that Boston College game, there are times when it looks like they put things together. And Francois can certainly fling the ball down the field. We've seen that hurt the Gators this year from other quarterbacks. So, what in your mind stands out about this matchup? Where will the game be decided? I think it could be, you know, the pass rush. I think Perhaps the two best players on the field are both defensive linemen. I think Brian Burns and Ja'Kai Polite, both defensive linemen, both having great years. I think both teams are going to have to throw the ball as as traditional in this rivalry. And, you know, if you take your pick on Burns or Polite, both of those guys are projected first-round draft picks, I think, at this point. So I'm just curious to see how good the offensive lines can do on the edge and uh, protect the quarterbacks because both quarterbacks – there's still, I guess what the word is say is uh, untested maybe in some ways in this kind of game, in this kind of rivalry game. Uh, so that's a matchup I'll be watching. Then otherwise, Adam, I just think it's, you know, for Florida, I look at can they run the ball and do what they've done consistently. And Chris talked earlier about moving up to 56 in the country in offense. That's a big step for this this program. Can, if they can put up those kind of numbers offensively against Florida State, you got to like your chances because you look at the recent history of this rivalry, Florida has had some of its worst offensive games against FSU. What they lost twenty-seven to two one year. Uh, they had under seven to two. I remember. That. Yeah, they had one year. It was seven three, right? Jimmy Swinston year. I think, uh, yeah. One year. It was, I mean, they've had some real duds against the Seminoles in recent years, and there's some of those games the Seminoles have been pretty bad too, but they've just been able to make plays and 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 win the game and I think this is a this is a chance that Florida does not want to obviously go to waste. Yeah, you look at uh, FSU's offense is 101st in the country. Their mm. scoring offense is 111. Their rushing offense with Cam Akers back there, who was one of the best running back uh, prospects in the country, if not the best, it's 127th. Wow. If they, Florida can keep those guys, it make them play like a team with those kind of statistics. That means uh, DeAndre Francois is going to have to beat them with you know passing the ball. And that means also he's going to have to be protected by an offensive line that's not very good. And then let's flip it over. Felipe Franks obviously has not uh, uh, set the world on fire uh, when he's back in the pocket this year. And yet FSU's de- pass defense is the 117th in the country. Um, so, I mean, they, these are these are numbers that pl- weigh heavily in Florida's favor. But again, it, in a rivalry game, those kind of numbers don't really matter. But uh, Florida needs to make those numbers stand up and take advantage of uh, what are obvious um, uh, flaws in what FSU is doing. Now, having said all that, you know, Boston College is a pretty good team uh, in the ACC. DeAndre Francois made the plays in the fourth quarter to beat a 7-3 a, a and three football team the other night. Now, Florida started the day the other day as a 7-3 and three football team. So whether or not they're better in Boston College, I don't know. But Florida State was able to do what they had to do at home. Maybe they took that as a cue and are going to start playing better or maybe start realizing the potential that they have not played to this season. So like I said before, Adam, there's plenty to be intrigued about with this matchup. And I imagine, uh, you know, there's, there'll be reason for FSU fans to go to the game and get excited this weekend. 
Well, normally both of you would be at this game, but uh, Chris, you're actually headed to the Bahamas with the Gator men's basketball team. So let's switch gears and, and talk some basketball here, which we haven't done in a couple of weeks. But last time we spoke about the Gators was right after their uh, ugly loss to FSU. Since then, have found themselves a little bit here in the early going. So I'm curious, going into this tournament, where do the Gators stand as far as you see it? Florida's won back-to-back games. They beat Charleston Southern, not a very good team, a low-major team, I would consider them. They beat LaSalle, which would be a mid-major team um, that probably isn't going to be a very good team this year. None of that flipped a switch or, or changed anyone's mind that they had beaten anybody. And that goes back to the first game of the season uh, at Florida State, which was not a pretty picture by any stretch of the imagination. So Florida still has some stuff to prove, and they're going to know a lot more about themselves after this week, Adam, because the first game of the year, or excuse me, first game of the battle for Atlantis, they're going to play Oklahoma. On the second day, they're going to play either Wisconsin or Stanford. And the third day, they're going to play either Dayton, Middle Tennessee, Butler, or the University of Virginia, which is the fourth ranked team in the country this week. So come Saturday, when the Gators come home, they're going to have a a lot better uh, uh, idea of where this team is headed. Uh, Mike White has talked about he wants to see more competitive uh, fire from this team. It's just, it's just not in their nature. It's going to be hard to kind of bring that out. Um, you either have it or you don't. But, you know, they, be- they better – if there's a way to kind of uh, foster that and nurture it or maybe reach down and kind of bring it out internally, they need to do it this week because you know, this, this is much better competition than they faced the last couple games. They got to shoot the ball better. They're shooting 26.2% from the three point line hmm. um, through three games. And going in the season, you would have said uh, their ability to score, especially from the three point line, was going to be one of the strengths of this team. Still haven't, you know, been able to get guys going, whether it's Jalen Hudson. He averaged 15 and a half points last season. Having He hasn't hit 16 points this year in a game. Kayvon Allen, the number 30 scorer all time in Florida history, is averaging 7.7 points a game. Uh, Keystone uh, hasn't really got anything going with his shot. Um, Andrew Nemhard coming around a little bit. He had a tough game, that first one against Florida State. He's going to get a better idea how, of how good he is. I really like him. The Florida, the Florida coaches really like him. He and Kavarius Hayes are the guys they say they know they know what they're going to get from them every single day of practice, and they know they're going to do what they're supposed to do when uh, between the lines on game night. So they've played a lot of guys so far, Adam, in these games. I expect to see the rotation minutes kind of uh, start dwindling down. In what direction, I don't know. Uh, so roles are going to be further defined in these games that are coming up in the Bahamas. So, you know, Wednesday – Thursday, Friday, people say it's kind of a, this isn't like a tournament because you're playing three, three games in three days. That's pretty damn hard. Mm -hmm. And, and that's also, it's, it's hard for scouting purpose and all that, but, and you're also in a place that's not like any other place you're going to play. So, I mean, you you literally play basketball in a fluorescently lit ballroom with 3000 people, which is kind of cool, but it's also kind of weird at the same time. So, um, different kind of environment. Uh, a different kind of competition, and yet uh, something I'm sure all the players and all the fans that will be going are going to be really, really excited about. Certainly, I'm excited about going. I get to take my family, so it's going to uh, it's going to be good kind of, good kind of trip down there. But like Mike White kind of said, it's kind of like a fact finding mission to find out where this team is right now. So again, when we talk next week, uh, we'll have a lot more, um, much better sample size of which to to speak to for Florida because in the coming weeks after that, they got some really difficult games in one week. They're going to play West Virginia in New York and Michigan state at home the week after that Bahamas trip. So there's a, there's a lot to look forward to and a lot to prepare for and a lot to get 
better from right now. Yeah, no question. Basketball is about to heat up a lot, so we'll keep track of that. Uh, right now, I want to move on to our PAT, and, and I had some goofy ones I was working on for this week, and then I thought, you know what? It's Florida, Florida State. We got to go back to that and, and talk about some of the, the great games in this story rivalry, and having covered so many of them, I know that I'm sure you guys maybe have one, possibly more, that, that stand out to you as particularly memorable. So I'm curious, what is your most memorable Florida-Florida State game that you've covered, and why? It, it could be for a weird reason. It doesn't have to be a game that Florida won. It could be something goofy that happened. So uh, where does that thought take both of you? Not, I'm not going to say any recent ones. Uh, I think the robbery <laughs> has you know, taken a dip some recently. The one that just sticks out to me, probably, Adam, and this is going back a little bit, uh, would be the 1997 game. I still, Chris might have the same one here. I don't know. But did you cover that one, Scott? I did not cover it. Well, so the, the, that's not in the parameters. If you're asking me which one I covered, okay. So uh, you know, one game that does stick out to me, Adam, in recent years is the 2008 game in Tallahassee. What I remember about that game was how much it rained the morning before the game. It was a, and it just rained all day and the field was sloshing and Tebow was coming in there for the last time, even though they played again in 09. That was in Gainesville in his last game in the swamp. In 08, it was his last game at Doak. And uh, you've got the images that still uh, you see on the internet or uh, in famous photos. The painting on the field that Garnett was kind of a uh, mission up in the water. So Tim Tebow sliding around all day. I mean, he, he looks like he's got blood all over his jersey <laughs> and stuff. And he, you know, went out there and had his typical great game and, and the Gators won easily. Uh, but there's some, there's some just great imagery from that game because of the, uh, the conditions and Tebow and, and the environment of one of the great rivalries. That's one that sticks out to me that I've, that I've covered. There's been many that stick out to me, whether as a fan. The one, a couple of these uh, I talked to about at Tallahassee. I mean, the '94 game, which I did not cover either. I was a student. That one, uh, obviously, the the choke at Doak, and how how can anybody forget that one? The one everyone that Gator fans says, so we just want to say the '96 game of the Sugar Bowl. I'll be honest with you. When I went into the Superdome that night covering that game, uh, regardless of what happened a month earlier in Tallahassee, I firmly believe Florida was going to win the game by double digits. Hmm. I just really, really believe that because. When they played the game in Tallahassee the the earlier they they were missing their some of their offensive linemen. I knew how uh, how uh, laser focused Spurrier was to atone for that, and I believed in Danny Warfel on a neutral field that time, and and I really believe that. So my the, the most compelling game to me by far was 1997 because the Gators had zero percent chance to win the game. I thought, and to all of a sudden come in there, and I remember. Uh, Ivan Mizell coming up to me before the game he goes, you know about this rotating quarterback thing? I said, practice seven close. I didn't. He had heard something about it in the run up to the uh, in a few minutes before the uh, in in the pregame, and sure enough, shuffling those quarterbacks in and out of there, Noah Brendeis for God's sakes, and Doug Johnson. And Doug Johnson was at that time. Uh, hey, people think Felipe Franks was disliked. Uh, that was the year Doug Johnson um, when the Gators were number one. Uh, blue curfew and uh, threw the four interceptions at LSU and they'd won 25 straight games in, in SEC play, whatever. I mean, people didn't like Doug Johnson. They liked him after that game a lot. Florida was could not complete a forward pass in the run-up to that game. 
and yet they had over 500 yards of offense that day, over, I think, 320-some yards passing. Fred Taylor had 160 yards rushing and four touchdowns. FSU was the number one defense in the country. Florida went up and down the field on them, including that incredible Jaquez Green uh, reception from Doug Johnson over Samari Roll, who was a lot, who was a basically a lottery pick in the NFL draft that year. Uh, ruined FSU's chances to go to play for a national championship. Uh, made Florida season. Uh, got them to the Citrus Bowl, where they ended up uh, beating uh, Penn State and Joe Paterno in that game, and ended up winning ten games. That's the game that I remember. I was on the field when. Uh, Doug Johnson threw that pass. I just like I've told people it sounded like a jet airplane with landing on top of my head. Mm. Uh, the greatest swamp environment that I've ever been to. And uh, that's the one that sticks out in my head. And maybe one day we'll get back to that kind of uh, aura, that kind of uh, uh, intensity for this rivalry. It certainly won't be that way this week. Maybe one day we'll get there. But uh, I remember that more than that's the one that stands out with me. And it's really not even close. Those are both great answers. Uh, my most memorable is for actually for a wrong reason. I was at the Swindle in the Swamp was one of the first Gator games I ever attended. And it stays memorable because when I watch games today and I see egregiously bad calls that are reviewed and overturned, it just reminds me of how the outcome of that game would have been so, so different if any one of five or six things had instant replay to review. I, I forgot what game it was I was watching the other day. Where is that the Chris Ricks game? I believe it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Chris Ricks to PK Sam. Yeah, two thousand three. Right. Uh-huh. But I, I was even I was watching a game the other day. I can't remember right now which one it was, but uh, it was a pass to the corner of the end zone. The guy never caught the ball, but he was shielded to the ref. So the ref calls it a touchdown, even though he literally never had the ball in his hands. And then they review it, and it's quickly overturned. Well, in two thousand three, the year before instant replay, which was when the swindle in the swamp happened. Uh, those were just, you know, bad luck over and over situations for Florida that changed the outcome of a game. So that is my most memorable Florida, Florida State game for the wrong reasons. But, uh, we'll see if this Saturday is memorable for, uh, for different reasons. Gators hoping to break that streak. Scott will be there keeping track of everything. You can follow him at Gators Scott and he'll be posting everything on FloridaGators.com. Chris, meanwhile, he'll be covering basketball down, uh, really bumming it in the Bahamas. I know he's going to be so, so unhappy down there, uh, kicking up on the beach and also, following a lot of up and down action on the court. So gentlemen, we hope you have a great Thanksgiving and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Adam. Yeah, Adam. Thank you, man. For better or worse, legacies are often burdened with expectations based on their predecessors. If their relative was just a marginal player, they can easily supplant them in the minds of fans. But if they were legendary, the bar is often set unfairly high. Johnny Townsend may have been one of the best punters in school history, but his younger brother Tommy is focused on charting his own path in Gainesville. Whether it be through trick plays or laying people out on punt coverage, the first-year Gators had an outstanding inaugural campaign. We spoke to Townsend about some of the highlights of his first year and that incredible family tree, but began by discussing the rousing success of Senior Day. I think that was, uh, that was huge. Um especially, you know, having like a really big game, putting up a bunch of points, send the seniors out on a, on a really, really high note. There's a lot of energy going into the game and a lot of focus that whole week on, uh, on sending the seniors out on a good note. And I, I think we did that. I think, I think the seniors are pretty happy with uh, the last game in the swamp and uh, a bunch of the younger guys got a, got a bunch of playing time. And um, 
I think that was that was really good for developmental aspect. We're going to get back to football in just a second, but I want to, I want to take things back here for a moment. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your family? We know part about your family, but tell us a little bit about your family and, and where you grew up. Okay, so yeah, so uh, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Same with both my older brothers, just born and raised in Orlando. Um, my dad's from Mississippi, mom's from Pennsylvania, so it's a interesting little mixture there, but uh we all we all grew up playing baseball, football, every sport, you name it. And uh, right now, my oldest brother, he's in uh, UCF med school, and mm. he wants to be a orthopedic surgeon. Wow! So, uh, so that's pretty interesting. He, uh, I like to think that he, he's he's one of the smarter ones in the family. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, obviously, yeah, me and uh, me and Johnny have been very blessed with uh, with punting abilities. So, uh, so we've been pursuing that. But yeah, from Orlando, Florida, dad's an attorney there. Um, mom's been stay at home. She used to be a teacher back in the day, but that's about it. You mentioned all the sports that you guys played growing up. And clearly, from what we've seen from you and from Johnny, you guys are really good athletes. So how did you end up mm-hmm. punting? Was it the same story for both of you or did you get there a different way? It's a, it's a little bit different. So I think Johnny, it started off, Johnny made uh, made varsity his sophomore year of high school. And he noticed that they didn't have a punter and they were doing tryouts. So he just said, you know what, like, I'm going to, we'll just see how it goes. And I guess he ended up getting the job and, uh, he was actually, he was pretty good at it. So, uh, so my dad called one of his friends, uh, I think he used to be a punter at, at Florida state. Um, so I remember going to the field with Johnny and Johnny got a couple lessons with him. And then, uh, after that, we, we looked up some, uh, some local coaches, and uh and Johnny started working with uh one of our local coaches who is Nick Fleming who uh who actually played for the Gators back in the day. Hmm. And then after that Johnny went to a couple camps and he picked up some scholarship offers and uh and once I uh once I saw him picking up some offers I was like, you know what? Like maybe I can do this too. And uh so when he started getting offers and stuff, I was like, all right, let's let's do this. Let's get after it. So uh so me and Johnny started training together all the time and then uh we just really started progressing from there. So you know, there, there's a, a practical element of it, too, because, you know, everyone wants to make it big. Everyone wants to be a, a starting quarterback in a major school. But also, there's only so many spots, and there's a, an aspect of, oh, well, I'd also like to get a scholarship, have a chance to go play at the next level. So is it humbling to make the decision to be a specialist? Because obviously, you could, do, you, you could do more than that, and there's a, a stigma <laughs> to it. So it, how much of that was, was tough in mm-hmm. terms of committing to being a punter? You know, I never really thought about it that way. I mean, obviously, me and Johnny always played like corner and safety um, throughout high school, uh, and we we're pretty good athletes. But I don't know. I th- I think it was just kind of a calling for us. It was, a, it was an odd calling because uh, <laughs> I don't know. We were we were both pretty gifted, but we both just decided to to take this path. And I mean, heck, it's been a, a pretty good ride so far. Mm-hmm. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't think either of us have any regrets. In terms of the recruiting process, what was that like for you? And how did you end up choosing Tennessee when, when you first got started? So, so yeah, so I went to, um, it started for me, my, the first camp I went to was a, uh, was a Coles kicking camp in December of my junior year. And I actually didn't do well at that camp at all. I did, I did pretty bad. Um, so my initial ranking was pretty, uh, pretty low, but I got invited to, uh, to one of their camps. It was called the underclassmen challenge. And I just kind of saw that as like my opportunity to, to, I guess, build a name for myself. So, um, the month and a half, um, two months that I had between that camp and the underclassmen challenge, I was just, uh, I was just kind of working my butt off 
and it paid off. Um, I went to that camp and uh, just performed really well and uh, got ranked number one. And then after that, I was just getting hit up by handful of coaches on Twitter and getting some mail um, from my high school. So, uh, so, and originally, I mean, I wanted to go to Florida. I wanted to go to Florida my whole life. Um, mm. Usually schools offer punters and kickers every, like once every four years. And so I was kind of excited because I was looking forward to like a, a chance of, of, of me coming to Florida um, because it's going to line up perfectly. Kyle Christie was going to leave and then I, I would have a chance of coming in. Um, but Johnny obviously made the, uh, the switch from, uh, Ohio state to Florida. And I just kind of decided, I was like, all right, this is, isn't really an option right now. So I'm just going to have to look around. So, so at first I was, I was pretty open, um, to like anywhere, um, any schools, but the more I really thought about it, I, w- I wanted to stay somewhat close to home. I wanted to stay in the SEC and, uh, Tennessee seemed like the, uh, the best opportunity at the time. And I ended up committing to Tennessee, got the offer, committed to Tennessee, and um, was there for a year, and the rest is history. So in, in terms of how you get to Florida, which is where you said you always wanted to be, how did that ultimately come to pass? Because obviously some things had to change, and you just talked about the process recruiting-wise is you know years in advance, the way they stack these things, especially mm-hmm. for kickers and punters. So how did you ultimately make this dream a reality? Just a lot of, a lot of help and support from my parents. My parents are uh, one of my biggest role models. They're the ones that really helped me to get get me to where I am today. And same with Johnny. Johnny with Johnny was a great help in uh in helping me um make the decision to uh transfer and ultimately come to Florida. When you talk about relationships with siblings, sometimes it's they can be you know, as close as can be, sometimes it's combative. What were your feelings about coming and, and being the next Townsend? Because obviously, you know, Johnny left quite a legacy <laughs> And there's some people that would say, well, I don't want to go after being in his footsteps and others would embrace that. Where do you sort of fall on that scale? You know, that's something that I don't really think about. I mean, obviously, I rec- recognize Johnny as like one of the best partners in Florida history. And I mean, I'm I'm trying to get to his status. But um, I mean, that's not really something that I think of too often. Honestly, like I just really focus focus on myself when it comes to uh when it comes to my career. When you came into the program, having that one-year overlap, can you talk about the ways that having him around help you sort of fit into the program and, and find your place, having that support system built in? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it actually worked out really well. Me and Johnny, uh, when I transferred in, we ended up moving in together. We were in the mm-hmm. same house. So Johnny just kind of, uh, he was just a mentor for me at Florida Day One, um, as well as being my brother and one of my best friends. Um, so I think that was really helpful with uh, living with him as as far as an adjustment to like coming to Florida. And then also the same thing with playing. Um, I think me and Johnny kind of feed off each other as far as competition wise. We push each other to get better every day. And I, I think honestly, it helped both of us when uh, when I came to Florida. I think I think we both got a lot better. Did you guys have a lot of competitions? Like, do you have you ever had a a flat out competition to see who can hit the ball further? Which one of you can do that? Um, <laughs> not really. No, we never we, we never really have like competitions like that. I I think Johnny has Johnny can hit longer balls, but I think my best balls have have more hang time. But yeah, Johnny's better balls have more distance. So I don't know. We we have different leg swings. So and so we we never really like had like specific competitions like some some days when we were uh when we'd be out training on the high school field we'd end we'd end like a punting session with with like a big ball competition and who could mm-hmm. who could hit the biggest ball 
so that's the only stuff that we've really had. We haven't really tried like a, you know, like a flat out competition, but I think that'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll set that up for the future. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> you, you obviously made a name for yourself pretty quickly back in the Vanderbilt game with the, the fake punt. Uh, can you mm-hmm. just talk about what, what led to implementing that and just how excited you were when you knew that, that that was getting called in? Oh yeah. So, um, so we had throughout the year, we've, we've had fakes called, um, but we've checked out of them. So when, uh, when they made the call, um, I mean, adrenaline was rushing obviously just cause the call was made and I knew there's always a chance to, to run a fake. And, uh, and that had been something that I'd been thinking about since I started punting, just, just watching other people have fake punts in the rush of that. But, uh, so yeah, they called in, I was running out on the field. I was a little unsure as if we were actually going to run it or not. Um, but as I was sitting there looking, we, uh, we ended up getting a look and, uh, we, we kept the play call on. And as soon as I saw that we were going to keep it on, that's when the adrenaline really started going. I was started getting really excited and getting pumped up. And then, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was super exciting. I was, I was really happy. I was able to, to run a fake and that coach Mall and the other coaches uh, trusted me enough to, uh, to execute the play. So. Well, Twitter had some fun too, a couple weeks ago when Johnny had a fake punt of his own. So I'm curious oh, yeah. if you guys, if you've done a, a compare and contrast on your fake punts and maybe some, some smack talk related to the execution. <laughs> you know, I think, I think there's pros to, uh, to both of our <laughs> fakes, you know, he, uh, he got the long run and he got the, uh, the high end speed, but, uh, but I, I, I shook a couple tackles. I stood a guy <laughs> up, you know, <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know. I, I think, I think we both have, uh, some good that came from our fakes, I'd say, but that may be up to discussion at, uh, at the Christmas dinner table. That's so. right. That's right. You know, it's funny because we, you talked about you're shaking some tackles and you've clearly shown that you'll invite contact on punt returns. You, you even got a couple personal fouls a few weeks ago, which is that's yeah, <laughs> not, not very typical of punters and the stereotypes. So I'm curious, I don't know how much you think about this, but do you take pride in sort of breaking those stereotypes about punters because you go out there and, and you know, you're taking on contact, yet you're making tackles? Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the... Uh the stereotype of punters being soft, you know, (laughs) um, I don't know. Me and Johnny have always been really hard nosed and, uh, not afraid of contact. If, if we have to lay it up in there, I mean, we got to make a tackle. So (laughs) yeah, I don't know. That's, that's that. In terms of what you look to do at the next level, I'm curious how much you've talked to Johnny about playing in the NFL, how it differs from college and sort of the experience that you're having and and that he's having Mm -hmm. simultaneously. Yeah. Um, I think, the, like the biggest difference is, is uh, the NFL is like like more of a marathon. You you have to you have a lot more time to to focus solely on football. So the the season tends to be a little bit longer. As to where like in college, like we still have to worry about classes or in uh in uh, in other aspects. Uh, so football doesn't get our complete focus. But yeah, Johnny just says it's uh it's it's a marathon, and uh you just really have to lock in and buy into it. So uh, moving forward, if uh if I do hopefully get the opportunity to play in the NFL that would that would be something that I would have to uh to really train myself is to uh to work on uh like a prolonged season mm-hmm. and uh and work and get the mindset of of, of a marathon instead of just a, a, a quick season quick jolts of football well it begs the question too because sometimes people joke if a punter has to see a lot of action in the game oh his leg must be getting tired does your mm-hmm. leg actually get tired or is that not really a thing I don't think that's really a thing. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, throughout the game, um, I, I have to stay warm no matter what. Uh, throughout every drive, I, I warm up at the beginning of drive. I'll warm up. Um, 
And like I said, throughout the drive, I'll, I'll try and stay warm. So regardless of if we're punting a lot um, on the field or punting very few times, then it's still the amount of amount of kicking uh, throughout the game. So. All right, so we don't even need Mythbusters for this. We got this one settled right here. couple final things for you. I'm curious, outside of football, when you have some time, what are some things that, that you enjoy doing? I'm actually, I'm a big golfer. I hmm. love playing golf. Um, I go out and play every chance I can. Uh, I would try and play. During, during the spring and summer, I try and play a couple times a week. Um, and then days that I can't play, I'll, I'll go try and hit some balls. But the past couple months, like with this season, obviously, it's been, it's been really busy. It's been my first year playing. So, uh, so I've given all my focus to football, but yeah, that's, that's something I'm looking forward to in the, uh, in the off season is getting back out on the course and, and playing a bunch. In a good spell, what do you usually shoot? Well, if I, if I'm playing well, I'll, I'll shoot mid eighties. Wow. Um, I've shot a couple, um, couple 77s and 78s, Nice. but those have been, those have been my best rounds. Um, so I, st- I still need to drop my scores a little bit. Um, but yeah, mo- most of the time, my, my issue is uh, is just overswing and just trying to hit the ball too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't we all? Just be Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, ju- just because I, I actually do hit the ball pretty well, I hit it pretty far. So I just I just always have to remind myself to just tone down my swing. Do you have a favorite course? Yeah, I actually play. Uh, I try to go up every summer. Um, we have some family friends up in uh, Highlands, North Carolina. It, the course is Highlands Country Club, and uh, that's that's one of my my favorite courses I've ever played. It's absolutely beautiful, and the conditions are are wonderful. It's a it's a great course. So uh, so that's some that's a course I always look forward to uh, going up to play. Very nice. So it is Thanksgiving week. Before we wrap up with FSU, what's the one Thanksgiving dish that you cannot do without? Oh wow! Um, Probably the toughest question you'll get all week. <laughs> Yeah, there's endless possibilities. <laughs> I don't know. My uh, my parents always go all out and um, make a bunch of wonderful dishes, and uh, and it's it's a huge family ordeal. So I I don't know if there's one thing that I can put my finger on. My mom does make a great peach cobbler. Oh wow! Um, okay. Take that. So I'll say the peach cobbler. That's <laughs> that's one of the tops. Yeah, solid choice. Uh, final thing for you. Getting back to FSU. Obviously, that's the topic in everybody's mind. What's the energy been like this week in the locker room, and what do you expect it to be by the time you get to Tallahassee on Saturday? There's been a lot of energy in the locker room, a lot of excitement for this week. Um, we we have a lot riding on this. Uh, everyone wants to pull out a, a big win, like we were talking about earlier for the seniors. Um, outside of the last game in the Swamp, this is the last game of the regular season, and uh, this is a big game that we want to send seniors out on on a great note on. Um, you know, beating FSU and, you know, regardless of record, they're a great team. Um, they have really good players. So I, I think, I think we have a really good mindset coming into this week. And, uh, coach Mullen always says it's, it's a build up as far as, uh, as far as mentality and not, not get too worked up during the week. But yeah, no, I, th- I think, I think everyone's, everyone's getting in the right mindset. And, uh, we're ready. We're going to be ready to go play on Saturday. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, uh, you don't have to use that leg too much on Saturday. That'll mean better things <laughs> for the Gators. But uh, have a great Thanksgiving, and, and thank you again for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. It's a high noon kick for Florida, Florida State in Tallahassee, and you can follow the game on ABC and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday to break it all down, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>